Welcome back to the Never Quit Podcast. Welcome back, Never Quitters. This is episode 47 of the Never Quit Podcast. This is your host, Bill Higgins. And I've been away for about a week. Uh, I apologize for that, for those that were looking forward to another uh, episode. Uh, it's kind of encouraging because I did get some feedback. A couple people asked me what was going on with the podcast. Why haven't I posted an episode in a few days? Uh, makes me realize that there is, uh, I'm adding some value to people's lives, that people are excited to listen to the podcast, and that I'm missed when I'm not there. So uh, doubt that'll happen again. That'll probably be about the longest gap between podcasts. Uh, I have, I'm not going to make an excuse, but I kind of have a good reason uh, for the, the gap. Uh, though I, I've talked about this in a prior podcast, I told you there were three or four things that I was looking at in terms of career uh, options and the way that I was going to go, the direction I was going to take, and I was waiting to see what would work out. A couple of those things worked out, and I finally moved in the direction that I decided I wanted to go. I, I took a sales job. I started on Tuesday, the day after Labor Day, shortly after I recorded uh, the last podcast, and I've been in training all week. I've learned a lot. Uh, it's exciting, and it's definitely uh, there's definitely a real future here for me in the sales industry. Earlier on in a, in a previous podcast, I told you there were a couple things I was working on, a couple different options I was considering. I finally sat down, weighed the pros and cons, and decided that this is the direction I want to go. So. I've been in training for the last week. I got another two weeks of training. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I think this is uh, the direction I want to go with my future. Uh, I think it was a natural, it was kind of a natural progression from the skill set that I developed as a politician and an attorney, as a prosecutor, all those things combined, a trial lawyer combined all those things together and the, the natural progression since I w- couldn't do that anymore was uh, a sales job you know um, when you're when you're an elected official you got to sell yourself to the voters every day you got your currency is votes you're not dealing in, in money but you're dealing in votes how do I convince this person that I'm the best person for this job and win their vote uh, a lot of it's retail one-on-one, but some of it's uh, wholesale, and you know, through advertising, um, speaking to groups. Uh, you know, you got to do it both ways. So there's the wholesale marketing of yourself, and there's the retail marketing of yourself one-on-one to to the voters. So I had to do that every day, and I realized I was pretty good at it because I moved to Bedford County in 1999, in the end of 1999. I didn't know a soul, and by 2003, I knew enough people and had won enough people over to win a countywide election. So I realized that I had a, I had a skill set there that uh, could be utilized. When I was trying criminal cases... I tried my cases to a jury. I put the facts, the evidence together, you know, packaged my product, so to speak, and presented it to a jury. And I had to sell them that 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 was the 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 product that that they need. They should convict this person. That they should, you know, do what I'm asking them to do, which is a sale. And I had to become really good at that. But the other thing that I really learned, and I kind of tied this together during my training this week, is. A big part of sales is overcoming objections. And that is a skill that I used every single day when I was negotiating plea agreements. Let me tell you what I mean. Um, a lot of people think that when somebody gets arrested for a crime that you know the, the key is keeping the person out of jail from the, the, the defendant's perspective or the defense attorney's perspective. This person doesn't want to go to jail. And my job as a prosecutor is to put them in jail. And that those are really the only two things at play. 
that couldn't be further from the truth. There's a whole lot more at play. Yeah, those are the most obvious, the most serious. Those are the ones that people think about all the time. Somebody gets arrested, they go to jail, et cetera, et cetera. But there are collateral consequences to criminal convictions that people worry about when they're being charged with a crime. And I can tell you this, there are an awful lot of people that, well, let me say not an awful lot, but a surprising number of people don't care about going to jail. Honest to God, they do not worry about going to jail. It's not their biggest concern. I'll give you a good example. Let's have a landscaping uh, guy. And um, he works all summer long, works really hard, uh, makes really good money. But in the winter, he doesn't work. He doesn't even have the ability to earn money. And he has a hard time paying his bills, heating his house, staying warm. Uh, that person, believe it or not, might not mind being in jail in the winter. They're going to get three meals a day. They're going to have a place to keep them warm. They're not going to have to deal with the elements. Uh, and they can make their money. But they can't be in jail in the summer. And most importantly, they need their driver's license in the summer to make money. So I'm dealing with this case. And let's say I have a victim in the case uh, who's really concerned about you know this person serving some jail time. Um, but this particular person... They don't really care if they lose their license or not. Say the the, uh, the victim or the complainant in the case doesn't worry if that person has a license. So now, when I'm trying to negotiate a plea agreement in this case, I've isolated this defendant's biggest concern, losing his driver's license. And I've also, I also know from my perspective that that's the least of my concerns. I just want to make sure this guy serves some jail time uh, for, for the crime that he committed. We can work out a plea agreement in this case because I've isolated his objection. I know that his biggest objecting the pleading guilt, objection of pleading guilty is losing his license. And if I can have him plead guilty to an offense where he doesn't lose his license, he's not worried about going to jail. He'll plead guilty. He'll pay a huge fine. He'll be on probation for a long period of time. I can get everything I want out of this case uh, once I know what his biggest concern is. Uh, and, and there's a lot of examples of that. I think I talked about it in a prior podcast about in sex assault cases, sometimes the person's biggest concern is how long they're going to be required to register under Megan's Law. And they might be going to jail for a long time. Well, the purposes of Megan's Law are to let the public know that this person is a pedophile and there might be a danger around your child. Well, in some you know sexual assault cases, it might be a statutory sexual assault case where the boy was 19 and the girl was 14 and yeah he shouldn't have did what he did but he's not necessarily a pedophile uh he, he's just somebody that you know did something stupid got himself into a bad situation the victim's family may not be concerned that he's registering as a megan's law offender it may not be a primary objective in the case but he's worried about it you know if i can isolate that objection and say okay that's his biggest concern now what how do I negotiate a plea agreement, give him what he wants, but I get everything that the Commonwealth needs or the Commonwealth you know, deserves out of this case? Um, that That's a real skill, learning down to sit down with the defense attorney, negotiate the case, identify the objection, and overcome it. And that's a huge skill in the sales world. And if you In a sales job, you need to isolate that objection, find a way to overcome it. And I learned that a lot. I knew it going into this. It was reinforced during my training in this past week. And I see going forward that that's you know, probably one of the best skills you can develop as a salesman, isolating and overcoming the objection. So I realized that this skill set that I developed in 18 years as an elected official and as a prosecutor, this skill set is something that could be applied uh, to a sales job, and uh, you know, I'm going in full full speed ahead. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. 
and I can't wait to get started. I got a couple weeks of training here, and then uh, I'll hit the ground running. But uh, so I had an exciting week. I had to do some traveling to get to the training, and uh, something else came up that kind of tested uh, a, a principle of mine that I talked about in a prior podcast about never calling out from work, never missing a day of work. Figuring out what you got to do to get to work to solve your problem. Don't put it back on your employer. You take care of it. And man, I was tested this week. I was tested this week. Uh, my car uh, needed an inspection. My Explorer needed an inspection. And I took it uh, to get inspected. And uh, they found a couple problems. So they were going to have my car for a couple days. And I had to travel to get to this training. So I didn't have my car. No big deal. We have a second car. Amy has a a Sunfire. It's it's uh, an old car. It's a 1999 Pontiac Sunfire, but it serves our purposes because when we're traveling as a family, the Explorer takes us where we need to go. And uh, Amy's traveling is usually fairly local, so she doesn't drive it a lot. Doesn't put a lot of mileage on it. In fact, probably in the next year or so, uh, my 2015 Explorer is going to have more miles on it than the 1999 Sunfire. But uh, with that being said, uh, I was taking Amy's car. So I traveled back and forth using her car. And on the first day, right before I got home, the brakes failed. And let me tell you, this was scary. Uh, you ever, if you're ever traveling and have your brakes fail, um, man, it's a, it's a, a moment to panic, to say the least. But I didn't panic. I just took my foot off the, the gas and slowed down as best I could uh, and uh, eventually found a place where I could you know pull over safely and I was able to slam on the emergency brake I, it has a, a handle act you know a lever for the emergency brake I pulled that on stopped the car got the car stopped and I was about uh, seven miles from home at this point maybe me about seven miles from home and uh, you know th- this kind of ties into something else I mentioned before with everything I've been through, uh, I don't have the same circle of friends that I once had. I have a different circle of friends. It's much smaller, but it's much stronger. So I had a little moment of a little bit of a m- emotional moment where I thought about all the people that I would have called a year and a half, two years ago, and realized that I couldn't call those people. Those people were no longer available in my life, and um, once I couldn't do something for them, they wouldn't be doing things for me anymore. And I and I lost those friends. But as that happened, I started to think about the close friends that I do have, and I quickly developed about five or six people that I knew that if I called them, I could rely on them to help me out. And when you know, I, I needed three different things. I needed a ride home, I needed a car to get to, to my training the next day, and I needed my this car picked up tomorrow and repaired. And like I said, I developed a short list in my head of about six people I would go down the list and call to take care of that. And sure enough, the first three people I called solved all three of my problems. So uh, the lesson that I learned there is this. When you have a problem, your circle of friends will decrease significantly. When you can't give people, when you can't give people what they want anymore, uh, when you can't be a benefit to them, they'll abandon you. And that circle will get smaller, but it will get stronger. It'll get tighter. And while two years ago, there's probably about 100 people I could have called I don't know. They all would have said they would have tried. I would have had to have an opportunity. I probably, by the time I went down the list, I would have got my problem solved. Um, but now, the first three people I called solved all three of my problems instantly. And uh, I'll be forever grateful for that. 
And it just reinforced to me the importance of a strong circle of friends over a large circle of friends. Uh, quality is more important than quantity almost every time. And uh, like I said, it started as an emotional moment that had me really upset because I realized I didn't have the, the number of people to rely on that I once had. But I quickly realized that I had the, the strength and the, um, the quality of people that I could rely on instantly. And all three of them came through with me for me like you wouldn't believe. And uh, I'm grateful for that. And I think it's an important message. But the other thing that I learned from this experience is it reinforced what I said before. And I was afraid I was going to have to come on this podcast and say, oh, man, remember what I said before that never miss work, make sure you get there, take care of your problems. Oh, man, I, I finally caught up with me after 45 years and I wasn't able to do it. Well, this is about as close as I came. But, you know, the company that I work for never even knew what happened. Uh, I had a car that I borrowed to get to, to the training the following morning. I got there early. Uh, took care of what I needed to take care of, and uh, everything was fine. So now I'm going to reinforce what I said. Get to work. Take care of your problems. Don't put it on somebody else. Uh, you know there are solutions once you become desperate enough. And in this situation, I was desperate enough. I had to ask for help. I had to reach out to people, which I don't really like to do. You know, I'm not the kind of person that likes to reach out to other people and say, "I need your help." That's hard for me. But my other option was not getting to, you know, my second day of training at a new job. Uh, that wasn't going to happen. I would have been walking if I had to. And believe me, it's a far walk. Uh, I was going to figure something out, come hell or high water. And I did. And, you know, that kind of goes back to the, the, the initial point I was making here about the strength of your circle of friends. Man, I have some solid friends uh, that have stuck by me through thick and thin and uh, are doing things for me now even when they don't know when and if I'll ever be able to repay them. That's not that's not what's important to them. What's important to them is they're a friend and they're helping out. And we all need friends like that in our lives. So uh, unfortunately, if you don't go through some serious adversity, you may never get an opportunity to evaluate the real strength of your circle of friends. Because it, it's, it's only in those times of difficulty where you find out who those people are. When things are good, man, friends are all over the place. They're falling out of the sky. You're tripping over them. Uh, they can't be friendly enough with you. But when you need somebody, when you can't give somebody something, that's when you find out who your friends are. And I have some really good ones. I don't know how many of you been, have been following this Antonio Brown nonsense. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to get into all the details about it. You can watch ESPN to get the full story and uh, get the commentary on that. Uh, but there is one short lesson that I want to share with you that, that, that stems from that as a result of my uh, background and experience. And I think it ties into this show a little bit. And that is this. Man, you hire an agent, you hire an attorney for a reason. If you have a lawyer, if you have an agent, if you have a spokesperson, please use that person. Uh, Antonio Brown clearly has caused this mess uh, because he does not follow the advice of his lawyer, his attorney, his agent. His agent, for those who don't know, is uh, Drew Rosenhaus, who's a very famous uh, sports agent. The guy knows what he's doing. Whether you like him or not, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to negotiate those big contracts, and he knows how to navigate uh, through troubled waters for his clients follow his advice let him be your mouthpiece it look looks like everything was resolved yesterday with the antonio brown story uh and uh ab got up first thing this morning and couldn't screw things up again fast enough 
uh, went right to his Twitter account and uh, unraveled everything. It looked like his law his lawyer, his agent, negotiated for him yesterday. So uh, the lesson to be learned there is this: if you have a lawyer, if you have an agent, you have them for a reason. Use them, utilize them, follow their advice, and let them do the talking. Uh, I think Antonio Brown would be in a totally different circumstance right now had he followed uh, the advice of his lawyer who really pulled him out of hot water yesterday, straightened out a real ugly mess, um, and uh, it only took Antonio Brown a night's sleep to unravel all that, get up first thing this morning and do everything that he could uh, to screw it up. So it looks like Antonio Brown's career is over and it's mostly as a result of his own mouth. Abraham Lincoln said that we can complain because our rose bush has thorns or we can rejoice because our thorn bush has roses. It's all a matter of perspective. You know, everything in this world is based on perspective. There's always somebody who has things worse off. There's always some things, somebody who has things better off. Um, you, you know, be careful when you compare yourself to others. The important thing is to look at your blessings, look at what you have, look at look at the resources and tools that you have that you can utilize to make the best of your circumstances. You know, they, they talk about optimists and pessimists. That you know, a glass is half full or half empty. Man, be happy you have a glass. Be happy that there's something in it. Find a way to get more into that glass. You know, they, they, we shouldn't always pigeonhole into these things. Like, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Be realistic. Be be aggressive. Be passionate about what you do. So I always kind of laugh at that. You know, do you see the glass as half full or half empty? My, my position is always, thanks for giving me the glass. Thanks for having a little bit in there. Where can I get more? How do I fill this glass and how do I drink it all and fill it again? I mean, that's, that's really what it's all about in this world. Finding a way to motivate yourself to move forward, uh, to, to look at the best in every situation. And I talk about this all the time, man. I, a year ago, my life fell apart. But, you know, after, after reflecting on it and trying to build upon it, I found out a whole lot about my friends, about my own strengths, my own abilities. I looked at, you know, opportunities. I looked at it in a way as an opportunity to, um, to start a new career, to do something different, to get out of the rut that I was in. Yeah, if I had it to do over again, believe me, I wouldn't do it the way that I did it. But, you know, that wasn't, that's not usually an option. <laughs> a re- there's not really a reset button in real life. So I made a lot of mistakes, but um, I, you know, looked at it. I said, hey, that's in the past. How do I move forward and make the best of things going forward? Um, And, you know, I just came across that quote this week from Abraham Lincoln. You either have a rose bush with thorns or a thorn bush with roses. that's the way to look at things, man. You got a thorn bush that has some roses on it. That's awesome. You should be happy about it. Uh, don't look at the negative. Look at the positive in everything. So uh, with that being said, I want to thank you for joining me on another episode of the Never Quit Podcast. Uh, I'm excited about my new career, my new opportunity, the new direction I'm going. Still going to be working on some things. Look for some changes here in the podcast. That's still something I'm working on. Uh, unfortunately, I'm probably violating some of my own advice here when I started the podcast. I had mentioned before, you know, don't wait till things are perfect to pull the trigger. And that's how I started this podcast. If you go back to listen to the very first episode, you'll see what I mean by not waiting until things are perfect. Uh, I was far from it, and I'm not even there yet. And the changes I want to make to the, pro- the to the podcast, they're really taking it forward and in a different direction. And I'm really trying to, 
I find myself trying to perfect some things before I jump into it. But I'm still podcasting. I'm still doing you know this podcast this way. Uh, I got to just kind of follow my own advice there and maybe take that leap to that next level a little sooner uh, than than you know waiting for perfection may dictate. So uh, keep your keep your eyes open and your ears ears peeled for that. It's it's coming real soon here. In my mind, I kind of decided that after my 50th episode of the Never Quit podcast in its current format. Uh, would be the launch to uh, the, the bridge to where I'm going next. And I, I'll give you a little more of a preview on the very next podcast. So um, I look forward to uh, being with you again here real soon. In the meantime, never surrender, never give up, never quit. Remember, tomorrow isn't promised, but today is. Get out there and make the very best of it.